folks. I want to welcome you to the Small Batch Podcast, Episode 2. We have an awesome show in store today. But before we get started, let me give you a little uh, preview of what's going on in the farming household. Countdown two weeks for baby number two. We are on pins and needles, and wife is super ready for for this to happen. I'm ready for it to happen too, but since I've gone through it once before, I know... Well, I don't know what's going to happen, but I have a good idea of what's going to happen. And I can honestly say, the thing that I'm afraid of the most is the sleepless nights. The poop, the vomiting, the diapers, the bottles, the breast milk. I got it. It's no biggie. The sleepless nights are forever burned in my brain. I, I just, I just, it was, it was such, it took, had such a traumatic toll on me with our son. Not looking forward to it. Anywho, we we are uh, counting down for uh, baby number two and hope that uh, mommy and baby come out healthy, whatever it is. You remember, we don't know the gender. So we will be releasing the gender of our baby and the name and, and all the goodies on the next episode. But um, I'm, I'm really excited about today's today's show because we are interviewing... Dan Christofferson from dcbrewlaw.com. And I've, I've got an opportunity to uh, meet Dan and learn about more about what he does on an intimate level. Him and I grabbed pizza and beer together about two weeks ago. And Dan's doing some awesome stuff in the patent and trademark space for breweries. He has been doing patent and trademark law for some time now and is now focusing his efforts in the brewery space, and he's got some crazy beer facts that he's going to share with us later. He actually lived in Denver for a while, so he is uh, d- deep in the scene. Totally looking forward to to that. What's on? What's been on my radar? I have been traveling a lot. I've been traveling. I was in Buffalo last week and had a, a chance to stop by Community Beer Works, where Ethan invited me in for a. Uh, Little little shop talk, but mostly got a tour of their facility, tasted their beer, and they're doing some great things in Buffalo. It's funny, I got to spend three days in Buffalo, and it really it really reminded me a lot of Jacksonville, where, where I'm from, and not in a positive way. However, it reminded me of Jacksonville, and in, in three ways that stood out for me. Number one, the downtown is is dangerous and dilapidated. Ours ours is similar. But we have our stadium downtown. Their stadium is 15 or 20 minutes away from, from downtown. But their downtown is is on the uh, is hurting. Their suburbs are booming. Ding, ding, ding. So are Jacksonville's. Jacksonville's suburbs are booming. And lastly, their football team sucks. While it's the same, the Buffalo Bills have a lot of history. It was actually funny. Someone up there qualified their father-in-law with him having... Bill's tickets since the early 1900s, and that was his, his his mark on society, and he had slowly moved up to the 14th row on the 45th yard line behind the bench, and that, that was his claim to fame, which if you have a loyal fan base like that, it's awesome. I can't say much for our Jacksonville Jaguars. Uh, they're actually pretty much the laughing stock of the NFL right now, but Maybe they'll get a win. I'm I'm hoping they get a win, and I'll, I'll continue to support them as we as we move on. 
what I want to start doing before we get to the interview portion is doing a little beer talk or beer news talk of what's what's current, you know, what what's out there, what's current, what's happening. I know the Great American Beer Festival is coming up in in a week, and I'd love nothing more than to be there, but we have something slightly more important on the way. I know that Sun King in Indianapolis is holding a Canvitational, their their inaugural Canvitational this weekend. We have some friends that are going to display and showcase and compete with their beers up there. That should be a really, really awesome time. Looking forward to definitely attending that next year. And that's all that I know about for events that are happening. I would imagine beer festivals are, are still going on as summer's winding down and the weather is getting beautiful. One article that came across my radar in the last couple of weeks is the Brewers Association put out a, their economist, Bert Watson, put out a, excuse me, Bart Watson, sorry, Bart, put out an article on dis, dispelling the myth of the craft beer bubble. Dan and I are going to talk about our views of the bubble and what we think. Um, I have some viewpoints. I, I, I tend to agree with The Economist, but we will get to more of that in a bit. One more thing before we get to our interview with Dan. I would like to encourage everyone to go to our website, sbstandard.com. It's our, it's our landing ground for talking everything accounting and tax in the brew space we'd love to hear your feedback we'd love to hear some suggestions on posts we would love any any love we love hearing from fans customers potential customers and people who just who just dig the site so with that being said we have a action-packed 37 minute interview with dan christopherson coming at you now hey i want to welcome Dan Christofferson to the show. Dan, thank you for joining us. Yeah, absolutely. I'm looking over your bio here, and it's funny, earlier in the show I was talking about uh, me spending some time in Buffalo. The cab driver told me that the Buffalo is third in line after Detroit and Cleveland as the third poorest city in the U.S. Ouch. Yeah, Detroit. I know you were born there. Yeah, just outside of Detroit, about half an hour northwest. Um, say, uh, you know, Michigan's a great place to grow up. Uh, you know, people are very, uh, family oriented and, um, it was a great place to grow up for beer too. Just every time I go home, I always get to go check out, you know, some of the best beers in the, in the country. So, um, what city were you born in? uh, It's called Novi. It's, uh, um, just a suburb. So. It's it's kind of a misnomer to tell people I grew up in Detroit because uh, they they definitely have the wrong impression of my childhood. But uh, it's uh, yeah, definitely grew up uh, riding my bike around the neighborhood and not worrying about it. So it's a pretty nice little area. Cool. And it says here your your first job was a lifeguard. Uh, ironically, mine was the same. Oh yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Where where, where was yours? A pool or lake or pool? Uh, there was a neighborhood pool just down the street that. My older brother had been working at, and so I think I was maybe 15 or 16, and uh, I was on the swim team at high school, and uh, it seemed like an easy fit just to go down there and sit, sit in the uh, sit in the sun, wear my shades, and and uh, it was a pretty good gig. Sure, sweet. I had this, I I did the same exact thing, but I was lucky enough to have the beach, and so I went out and did a summer of Jack's Beach 
lifeguards, which um, it's more glamorous than it looks, and um, it's not something that people do for a summer because it has a pretty rigorous initiation training and initiation process. But I still did it for one summer and um, learned a lot. It was like Baywatch? Sit in the big... Sit in the big chair and all that. Yeah, you definitely sit in the big chair and you got the umbrella, but I wouldn't say it's Baywatch. It's um, a little bit different than, than Baywatch. Um, gotcha. I, w- I wouldn't say that's funny though. <laughs> so, I don't even know. I don't even know where Baywatch was supposed to take place, but I assume somewhere down in Florida. I think it's maybe? Hawaii or no, 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 Southern California. Okay, well, yeah, Southern I, uh, California. I'm usually landlocked, so uh, pools and pools and lakes for me, but. Uh, that's definitely got to be a fun experience being on the ocean every morning. Yeah, it was good. It was a lot of fun. Like I said, learned a lot, and uh, it, summer summer was great. Um, yeah, so nice. I was I was telling everyone that you and I had got together for beers and pizza uh, about a week ago or two weeks ago, and yeah. I heard I heard you say something that you you have some crazy beer collection or number of breweries you've been to. Uh, yeah, I've been talk to a about lot. that. Uh, I would say. Uh, I met my wife during law school when I was in Denver, and uh, when we were visiting uh, Yosemite National—excuse me, not Yosemite, uh, Yellowstone National Park—we uh, stopped at the Snake River Brew Pub or Brewing Company. Um, I think it was just outside there, maybe in West Yellowstone. And um, I, uh, I sat down and I said, "This is kind of cool, you know." It was kind of this was probably back in two thousand five. Um, and so I said, this is kind of fun. Uh, you know, we should go visit more of these. And so my wife was, uh, she wasn't that into beer at the time. I think she started out thinking she liked wine better. And uh, uh, anyway, uh, over the last, what, 2005 till now is almost eight years. Um, we've been visiting breweries and probably been to upwards of 400 or more. Um, and one of the things I like to do is, uh, if they have them, is to collect pint glasses with their logos on them from all the... Uh, all the different breweries, and I just think they're, you know, logos and names they come up with are just kind of fun to uh, collect, so, yeah, that's my uh, that's my little thing. Do you all use the pint glasses at home, or do you just kind of store them away? No, no, they're not for use. Uh, they're up on a shelf. Um, actually, I bought some really nice display shelves that I had uh, in our place in Tempe, um, but uh, we've been living in a condo for the last two years now up here in Alexandria, so um, haven't really had the space to put them up but we're actually moving here in um a couple weeks to uh falls church just you know 10 15 minutes away and uh i'm thinking that might be big enough so we might get to unpack some of the collection and uh yeah so that'll be fun yeah so you raised in michigan law school in denver yeah lived in tempe and now you're back on the east coast yeah yeah i've kind of um my wife was a um, Air Force brat, so she uh, kind of gets gets the itch to move every couple of years. She doesn't like sit, sitting still. Uh, so, uh, you know, we've been exploring our opportunities, and uh, given you know we graduated in two thousand seven, and uh, one of the worst economies in uh, 50, 60 years. Uh, so we kind of just took the opportunities where they came up, and um, our first opportunity at a law school took us to Arizona. We spent. Uh, better part of four years there, and then uh, spent the last two years here in uh, in uh, Northern Virginia. So neat, though, because uh, Colorado is just an awesome beer place too. So Michigan and Colorado are certainly two uh, pretty pla- awesome places to uh, be beer fans. So mm-hmm. yeah, and absolutely. It, and now in Northern Virginia, it's kind of fun because there wasn't honestly. I mean, we've only been here for two years, but 
there wasn't much much culture, much much uh, beer culture. Well, I don't know if that's fair to say, but there wasn't much, many local breweries there at the time. But I think DC Brow had just opened up, and uh, Port City maybe just opened up too. So um, there's a couple of really awesome breweries in the area now, and uh, just being part of uh, working with breweries now, I just it's so exciting to be part of the you know. It's just kind of like a powder keg that was waiting to happen. There's just so you know. There's a lot of money here. There's a lot of uh, you know thirsty people that really want don't mind paying a little extra for good beer. So it's kind of fun. Yeah, I've definitely seen the trend down in Florida as well. Uh, bre- more breweries are coming online. Well capitalized breweries. Uh, yeah. People and they're recruiting talent. They're recruiting talent from all over the place to, uh, to either brew it or to run it or to market it. So nice. it's, it's turning into yeah it's turning into a, a, a super viable industry. Yeah, which definitely. Is, which is cool. So earlier in the show, I, I kind of butchered what you do. Uh, I said you are a patent and trademark guru who has kind of uh, fate, uh, turned his focus into the craft brewing industry since that is such a hot topic these days. Um, Tell us, tell us, man. Tell us what you do, and then I may have some questions for you. Sure, yeah. Um, well, I've been practicing law for about six years now, and uh, the first three I did kind of litigation and uh, business law. And the last three I've been doing uh, kind of moved into patents. I uh, became a patent attorney, took the patent bar, and um, worked for a patent firm for uh, pretty much the last three years, um, doing patent uh, writing patents, uh, also what's called patent prosecution, and uh, also doing trademarks and trademark applications, everything trademark related. Um, I had actually interned at the Patent and Trademark Office back during law school, so I was always interested in it. Just uh, kind of a hard area to get into until you have the credentials. So, anyway, um, the last few years I've been doing patent and trademark law, and uh, just really, like I said, I've just really fallen in love with craft beer and being part of the industry. And um, anyway, uh, during the last maybe year and a half or so, I've really turn my focus you know i still have my nine to five gig where i write patents and do trademarks and all that but uh i thought well you know this is kind of a neat area and i really enjoy it so um i uh, turned my attention to trying to cater to breweries and um i would just really really enjoy working with them uh trying to help them you know uh, protect their brands develop their brands and and really anything else that i can help them with um i'm uh becoming more and more yeah go ahead let me jump in and ask you a question so why is it important for a brewery to uh, to talk to you? Why why is the whole trademark patent? I, I get general liability insurance. I mean general liability, and I get contracts for distributors and and um, and, and le- lease agreements. I mean a, an attorney needs to be involved in all those steps. But why is it important to, for a brewery to speak to you? Well, uh, so we're getting into a. a- a period now when there's more breweries uh, for the first time in over 100 years. Uh, I think that um, uh, Greg, uh, Greg, uh, what's his name, Coach from uh, from Stone, uh, I think he made some sort of statement. I can't back it up, but I think it was him who said that uh, since before, you know, since, since the uh, 19th century, it's the you know the, the highest number of breweries that have been been open. So. Uh, you know, that said, uh, obviously there's only so many names out there, especially if you want to have a name that's related to, uh, you know, beer or beer ingredients or really even anything at this point. Um, you know, there's a good chance that somebody else, uh, you know, was, uh, unfortunately probably already was just as clever as you or, or, uh, you know, came up with something that 
was similar. And so it's important to, before you start pouring money into your name, um, and, and uh, I want to talk a little bit more about how important your name is, but um, it's really important that you make sure you're not wasting that money. Um, like I said, you know, the importance of a name, um, essentially, that's what a trademark is. It, it's any way that you, any, any way that a, a consumer is going to recognize your products, going to recognize your, your, you know, your, your brew pub, going to rec- recognize your beer on the, at the, on the shelf of the store. Uh, people are going to talk about your beer, you know, and then you want to be able to take advantage of that. And if they can't, um, you know, refer to your, if they refer to your beer and then, uh, you know, six months down the line, somebody's looking for it on the shelves. And unfortunately, if you had a run in with another brewery and have to change your name, that's just a lost opportunity. And then that opportunity cost can be huge. So it's really important for breweries on the front end. Uh, I would say one of the first things they really should do is try to figure out what name they want to use and, and, uh, try to get it squared away. Uh, I wrote an article on my blog about how important it is to, uh, um, uh, to trademark your name. And also uh, there's an opportunity for breweries and planning to take advantage of a, a program that the USPTO offers uh, called uh, intent to use applications that are, so, in my opinion, okay. yeah, um, sorry, sorry, let me stop you for a second. What's the USPTO? USPTO, that's the, um, that's the uh, United States Patent and Trademark Office. They uh-huh. handle all uh, patent and trademark applications. Um, anyway, any anytime you want to get a federal trademark application, you're going to need to file it with the USPTO. And um, like I was saying, the uh, the USPTO accepts uh, what are called intent to use applications, which give um, you know brewery, breweries or companies that haven't yet used their name in commerce uh, up to three years to um, actually establish that use. And so. Uh, you know, sometimes it takes more than three years to plan a brewery, so that might get a little tricky. But to be honest with you, you can extend that period, um, you know, if you're clever, especially if you talk to a clever attorney that kind of knows how the program works and knows how to um, uh, extend that period so that uh, it'll be pending as long as possible. You still get your filing dates, though, so um, nobody else is going to be able to come in and register a confusingly similar name to the one that you're going after. So you kind of, you kind of, uh, stake off your uh, your ownership of that name early on and then you don't have to worry about it yeah and the nice thing too is that if you get a registered trademark you um you actually have a you know you, you actually have ownership in that name and so if you're out there doing recruiting if you're out there if you're out there doing uh, um, fundraising you can actually show them that you know I have an ownership interest in this name so um, that's just one more thing that uh, I think would help convince uh, you know uh, potential investors to uh, uh, take you seriously. So, cool. I have a, I have a personal story uh, r- relating to all this, and you can speak on it. You know, after what once I kind of share. But the uh, I wor- was working with a brewery, and they had uh, they received a cease and desist letter from a brewery in let's say Norway. It was some European country. It could be Germany. It could be Norway. It could be Sweden. Right. And it was for a beer that they were ready to bring on as a flagship beer and 24 hours before had approved the can artwork. Right. And you know as well as I do, when you order cans, you're not ordering 10 or 10,000 cans. Right, yeah. You're usually ordering 30 to 50 to 70,000 cans and it's a significant investment. Right, sure. That would have been a total... They were able to scrap the cans and they were able to... um, But that would have been a flipping disaster. Had they right. had you know thirty thousand cans roll in with 
a beer they couldn't make. So t- talk about that. Do you have any experiences like that or any stories that you know of? Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I mean, it's all over the, the uh, every, you know, I think NPR did a story on uh, craft beer uh, kind of name wars. Uh, I don't know if war is the right term, but conflicts for sure. Uh, even, you know, I would say in the last year, uh, it's been all over the place. I think anyone who's paid attention to the craft beer industry is aware of the fact that uh, there's so much um, infighting amongst the uh, craft beer community, uh, you know, over uh, different names. And so uh, I, I would imagine, I've, you know, there's a lot of anecdotes out there. Certainly, uh, I actually, you talked about upstate New York. I went to, uh, there's a brewery, I'll have to look up where they're from, but uh, um, Naked Dove Brewing. Okay. Um, Sorry about the typing. Yeah, Canandaigua, New York. Uh, anyway, they I talked to their um, their owners, and I can't remember what their what their name was um, at the beginning, but they went through a year or a year more than a year of uh, having a name, and, and uh, they got a cease and desist letter over a year into the 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 um, in the uh, opening of their their brewery, and uh, they actually had to change their name. And I think that they came up with Naked Dove because all of the uh, the letters of the founders' names make up the, the the name Naked Dove. It doesn't really have any significance. They don't. They didn't see a Naked Dove one day in the morning and decide to call their beer that. Just uh, that was just a, I guess, a clever a- acronym for their their founders' names. But um, you know, that's one anecdote. Uh, um, that's one of the things I'm trying to put together too. Is kind of an origin story to see how people came up with their names. And, and certainly, I think. Um, one of the more uh, um, uh, famous conflicts that recently went on involved a uh, homebrew shop um, going after. There's a brewery in um, Denver uh, called Strange Brewing Company. Um, I can't remember the name of the, the uh, homebrew shop, but it was similar enough that they uh, were trying to get Strange Brewing Company to change their name. And so there's been uh, that's been going on, and I think St- Strange Brewing Company is still going. So I, I think they might be heading to legislation and. Um, Legislation is not cheap. It, you know that can be a substantial amount of money for for any size brewery to deal with. Um, so uh, dealing with that down the road uh, can just be a nightmare, and it could could put somebody under. So typically, what happens is you know somebody you know writes you a cease and desist letter, and you say the cost of me fighting over this is goes more you know is far exceeds. Uh, um, the value of the name to me at this point. So even if it's a two, you know, you have a hundred thousand dollars wrapped into the name, uh, looking at the, you know, half a million dollars worth of legal expenses that might go along with, uh, you know, seeing the thing through just so you can win and keep your name. It doesn't make much sense to, uh, to, uh, fight over it, but it happens a lot. And, um, I think magic hat recently had a conflict with, um, was it six point? Uh, Magic Hat has the the number nine with some stars next to it, and I don't know if it was six point, but anyway, uh, somebody else had a six with with a couple stars next to it, and so uh, you know, there's it's not just similar names, but it's you know they they think their logo is similar enough, the font is similar enough that people, the standard that you know the courts are going to consider is whether uh, it would be confusingly similar to. Um, a consumer such that they would, you know, they would go to the store, they would see the see the brand attached to the beer, and they would expect that the source of that beer was whatever, you know, it was a misleading source. They would be led to believe that it came from that other um, that other brewery. So, um, cool. Those are all really good examples, man. We are, I appreciate that. That kind of sets the sets the landscape for different uh, different threats out there 
for sure. for New Brewery. So walk me through quickly the steps. Uh, to how how long does it take to get an application approved? Is it um, is it painful? Do you make it painless? I mean, kind of talk about the the steps. Um, sure. Well, if I get a new client, what I'll do is, um, at least at this point, what I've been doing is offering, uh, you know, a client, uh, you know, I'll do a free consultation and then we'll go through, uh, you know, for half an hour to an hour through where their company's at, you know, when they're going to be opening, if they haven't already opened, and also come up with a list of names that they're interested in. And what I'll do is I go through the uh, the USPTO's database and uh, there's some other databases as well to double check to see if there's anything out, out there that I think will be problematic to registration. And what happens is if I see something that's close enough, I can say, you know, I, I think that this is going to be problematic. You may not want to spend your money on this. And given that it's early in the process, you might want to reconsider the name so you don't run into this problem down the road. Anyway, that usually takes me a week of back and forth with the client, and then uh, we'll file the application. Uh, typically, the USPTO takes four to six months to even look at the application. Um, assuming uh, and depending on uh, you know the client's needs, occasionally I'll throw intentionally kind of put some roadblocks in there to uh, uh, delay the registration process because uh, if they haven't opened doors yet, uh, it can come sometimes minimize uh, expenses by kind of uh, um, uh, I can either smooth the way for registration to go through without any without any issues, or I can kind of um, include some issues that I know that are going to need to be resolved, but we can kind of push those down and kind of extend the process a little bit. But uh, four to six months down the road is typical when the USPTO will look at it. Uh, and then if they have a problem with it, they give you a, a office action uh, that you have six months to respond to. Um, and then it just kind of goes back and forth. Um, usually only two rejections, and then they'll give you a final, and then you can uh, decide if you want to keep fighting over it or not. But, uh, you know, I'd say somewhere around six to eight months before you'll end up with an issued trademark. So Interesting. So so that really lines up uh, closely with TTB reporting or TTB application. I mean, you need at least that long to get approved. I know they've kind of sped a few things up, but by the time the brewer gets their application complete and all the local authorities and offices to sign off, at least you're looking at six months. Um, yeah, I'd say that yeah it coincides pretty well, especially when you add in um, you know state requirements too. So um, the TTB, I think the last I saw took uh, around three or four months to to go all the way through, um, mm-hmm. depending on you know whether you um, your application was correctly uh, prepared and all that. But uh, yeah. anyway, the um, yeah it coincides pretty well, and typically I think that uh, you know giving them the flexibility that. Uh, an intent to use application or uh, typically an intent to use application provides is pretty ideal for that uh, flexibility that's required because you just don't know when you're going to be opening doors. There's so much that's out of your hands. uh, So, yeah. So I sent you that article and I told you we would chat about uh, the article from Bart Watson of the, the economist that wrote uh, the, the, or actually discredited the idea that there's a bubble and crap brewing Right. Now, I want to open up dialogue between me and you on, on the topic, and I'll start by saying I, I, I briefly spoke about it earlier, but I agree with a lot of his statements. Right. Um, I really do. I don't, I don't believe there is a bubble. I, I believe some breweries are rushing into the, the, the starting process, and they believe they're going to miss something if they you know, don't take the extra if – they, if they take an extra six months to plan – and get capitalized, 
Right. And those are the ones I think that are, that are going to organically just fall off. But he talks about two points. He talks about capacity and he talks about he talks about market share. And his market share point really 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 hit home for me mm-hmm. that crap breweries as many as are that are coming on really only command uh, less than 10% of the market share for beer in the United States. Right. And it just, uh, he has a really good graph, and I'll post a link on my website to the article. He has a really good graph that compares the um, NASDAQ to uh, craft beers growing, uh, the, the craft breweries that are coming online. And it is, it's funny to see how the NASDAQ just was all over the place and craft brewing is just this conservative growth. Um, wh- what are your thoughts on it? Yeah, I think uh, I think the the craft beer bl- bubble is kind of overblown. Um, I think uh, you know there's a big question about. I, I think that the, uh, the overall consumption of beer in and of itself has pretty has declined pretty steadily over the last ten years and lost market share to. Uh, I don't know if it's to wine or to to liquor or some combination of the two, but uh, overall, beer drinkers are going down. But uh, I, I'm, you know, the uh, the question that you're posing about, um, you know, the, the number of uh, the, the market share for craft beers, it's kind of a tricky question because, uh, you know, there's there's a uh, macro breweries that are putting out uh, craft beer, or quote unquote craft beer now, and. Uh, um, Blue Moon, I think, makes up a huge percentage of uh, what they consider to be craft beer sales. But I, I would imagine that your 10% number doesn't include that. Um, but uh, as far as the uh, uh, you know the bubble, I, I don't really see that uh, that it's necessarily um, that there's going to be too many craft breweries. I think that anyone that that puts together a solid product and has a good business plan and doesn't try to overexpand too quickly. Uh, you know, should have a, a pretty good chance of success. I would imagine that um, if you compare uh, breweries to other other types of companies, that it's you know it's pretty similar as far as the success versus failure rate. But the nice thing about breweries is that uh, you know it seems like uh, especially if you make a really high quality product, there's a pretty good um, profit margin you can build into that. So um, yeah, it just really depends on a good business plan, a good product. Um, and, you know, picking out, there's certainly, uh, you know, for instance, I, I talked about Northern Virginia. I think that, you know, there's a lot of money here. There's a lot of uh, young people. There's a lot of people that are interested in, you know, cool things. And beer is a cool thing. I mean, especially craft beer is such a cool thing right now. It's uh, just very uh, in. So uh, it's just a good place to be. And, you know, there's there's probably other places. You know, I'm, California still has breweries opening up. And, and uh, you know, I'm sure that a lot of them succeed. But, there's, you know, how many, how many times more uh, breweries per capita in uh, in California than than in Virginia? Um, it's just, uh, you know, I think that uh, there's opportunities. You just got to take advantage of the ones that are out there. Sure. And beyond that, you know, people are starting to specialize more. It's not just your regular brew pubs that are opening up with, uh, you know, the same five. You can get an IPA, a pale ale, a stout, uh, you know, some sort of wheat ale, and a um, maybe some sort of a uh, lager and you know, that's what everyone has. But now we've got people that are specializing in sours. You got people that are specializing in barrel aged stuff. Um, you know, there's people all over the place and it's just kind of, you got to find your niche. And, and uh, I think that if you make good beer, people will come. So cool. Yeah, I agree. I agree with everything you said. Uh, and I, I think they are, they're, they, 
the breweries are, are building great communities wherever they open up. Um, so tell, let, tell everyone where you're, the next conference you're going to attend. Do you have any anything on the radar for uh, the next six to eight months on, on getting out there and meeting people? Well, I was planning on uh, trying to get out to the Great American Beer Festival this year, but that didn't work out. Um, I'm thinking probably uh, uh, the soonest thing that I might be uh, going to is the Craft Brewers Conference in Denver next year. Um, uh, I have a lot of family and friends out there, so I don't mind getting out there anyways, and a couple of clients as well. So uh, it's certainly not a bad time to bad place to go anyways. But um, yeah, actually, the Craft Brewers Conference was here in D.C. last year um, and in Denver next year. So they're uh, making it convenient for me to go. So yep. I got to Yeah. Absolutely. And then last question, favorite beer. Tell us what and why. Um, well, uh, right now I'm really partial to uh, – I had a barrel-aged uh, Speedway Stout from 2012 last year. Uh, it was a little hard for me to get my hands on. I had to give up a little bit of my cellar to get it, but uh, – uh, I really, really enjoyed it. Um, I enjoy uh, – Smith puts out a lot of really good beers, and um, that was probably one of my favorites. I'm really into uh, barrel-aged uh, um, barley wines and barrel-aged stouts. Um, Coonan in Michigan puts out some really awesome beers too that I really enjoyed. So I, I would say that's it. Great. So, Dan, how do we get a hold of you? Well, uh, anyone who's interested, uh, I invite them to check out my blog, uh, dcbrewlaw.com. Also, uh, you can email me, dan at dcbrewlaw.com, and uh, give me a call at 703-539-2757. Sweet, man. Thanks a lot. Yeah, no problem. Thank you. Well, hey, Dan, I I appreciate you joining us today for the Small Batch Podcast. Absolutely. And uh, look forward to having you on uh, many more times, and uh, we will talk to you soon. Thanks, buddy. Thanks a lot. Have a good one. You too.